So we are here in this series on Hebrews, and this is week five. And we only got through chapter three last week, so I hope you guys are settled in. Actually, today we're, at, we're gonna go from chapter four all the way to chapter six. So it's gonna be a lightning round of, of study of scripture in Hebrews. But here's the thing, we may find Hebrews a little bit challenging. I know that as I read Hebrews, it's one of those books that I consistently have to go, I'm gonna read this for a minute, then I'm gonna put it down and I'm gonna go do something else. I mean, it's just one of those heavy books that has a lot of theology, has a lot of, of connectedness, and it has a really big challenge for us as believers because it's one that really doesn't pull a whole lot of punches in our responsibility to be Christ-like and to put Jesus in the proper place. For some of us, we're determining that as we're going through this, some parts of our faith might need a little bit of a renovation. They might need a little bit of an update. And so last week we look, unpacked, the, unpacked a, a truth about rest that we can only enter in through Christ. In fact, we, we determined that Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In fact, Jesus is, is the ultimate rest that we have as Christians. Our, our rest is not found in a church building. It's not found in a church service. Rest is found in a person. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And Jesus is enlightened for us by God's word. And God's word is powerful. It was by the speaking of God's word that he created the universe. God's word is immensely powerful and meaningful. So last week we talked about Jesus is greater than restlessness. And this week is truly just a continuation of that discussion that we started last week. The rest that we find in obedience, the rest that we find in doing the things that God has told us to do, that we continue on in a life that is marked by obedience to God, because that's only under that ultimate authority of, of God that we find our true freedom. So for us to truly know though what it means to obey God, we have to know his word. And, that, and, and it's an amazing thing that God has given us his word for us to study, to read. So the, the writer of Hebrews says this, and starting in chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the spirit, of the soul and the spirit of the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So God's word is powerful. God's word is, is effective. God's word cuts deep. And I, and I think that's probably one of the things that, that we struggle with the most is when we get in the midst of God's word, there are some things that we read and we're like, you know what? That just makes me feel good. I feel happy when I read this portion of the scripture. I feel happy when I believe that God will give me blessings and that God will give me great things. But then when God says that I need to change something about my attitude or that I need to change something about the way that I view myself, then I kind of have a little bit of a difficulty 
Because when God's word addresses the deepest needs of my soul, sometimes those deepest needs of my soul aren't the most comfortable things to deal with. Sometimes the deepest needs of my soul actually go against what my mind says that I should have. The scripture here, the writer of Hebrews tells us that God's word brings out into the open our thoughts, brings out into the open our intentions, and they become exposed, naked. Ultimately, we are all accountable to God's word because God's word exposes our heart. Through the word of God, we understand that our hearts, we understand that our hearts are oftentimes so far from God. We understand what our, tru- what our hearts truly are like. We come face to face with our true intentions with God. To be honest, there's no one that's exempt from this. No one is exempt. No one has a free pass. And so because of that fact, it's wonderful for us to know that we have someone that even though our hearts and intentions may not line up with God in his, in his plan and his purpose for our lives, but we have a great high priest that intercedes on our behalf to our heavenly father. And in the beginning of the book of John, we find out that this great high priest, and we understand that something truly amazing about Jesus an amazing truth about who he is. In fact, John said it this way, in the beginning was the word, and the word, that's Jesus, was God and was with God, and the word was God from, or to all who receive him, that is Jesus who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, he was with God in the beginning, and to all who receive him, that is Jesus, to all who believed in his name. He's given the right to become children of God. From his fullness, from the fullness of Christ, we receive grace upon grace. And that's good news, you guys, because the law was given through Moses and grace came through Jesus Christ. And that's going to be really important for you to understand as we continue on through this morning, that grace comes only through Jesus. There's no other means for you to receive it. Jesus came so that we could be sure of the mercy and grace that we receive because of him. So the writer of Hebrews continues, he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession that Jesus is the great high priest so that we can approach the throne of grace, so that we can approach God with confidence. Let us then, they continue, with confidence draw near to the throne of God because Jesus works on our behalf. Jesus is the one that stands between as an intermediary between us and God and works on our behalf. And he speaks to the Father. He is greater than the sin that you carry. He is greater even more so than the sinful, that is the human, high priest. And this rocked the world of those in the Jewish culture to think of somebody that was more righteous than 
the high priest. It says, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. The writer begins to explain how this beauty of Jesus as high priest coming and living and being among us and then dying on the cross and then rising again, defeating death, creating that place where we have someone who is on our behalf. Jesus coming and living in the midst of the world that we so much struggle in. Jesus is the great high priest. That means that he willingly took on our sin. He willingly took on every bit of our sinfulness. He willingly took it on to the cross. Jesus knows what it is to plead with God to struggle with the harsh realities of life. Jesus had had his own moments where he struggled in prayer, where he cried out to his heavenly father and said, God, if it is your will, then take this cup from me. But he still lived a life of obedience. He willingly took on our sins on the cross. And it's a beautiful and rich, wonderful, understanding of Jesus as our great high priest, and it is full of meaning. Jesus showed us an example of how to be obedient to God, even when things don't go the way that you want them to go. He showed us also what does it look like for us to find our true Sabbath rest in our Heavenly Father. The writer says, listen, there's a few things going on. And, and I think in the midst of everything that I'm explaining to you, I want you to hear this. I'm, I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about you because you're not really maturing as quickly as I had expected. You're not getting it. You're not kind of pulling these things together. And what seems like it might be a detour in the scripture actually isn't. What seems like a kind of a change, that it, it really truly is not. The, this whole book, the whole, the whole letter of Hebrews is, is really about understanding a few things about Jesus, that Jesus is greater than anything or anyone that you will ever encounter in life. Jesus is the ultimate when it comes to the things of faith. Jesus is greater than any idol that you could maintain. He is greater than any law that you've ever read. And the whole book of Hebrews warns us against one thing, against falling away. The writer is basically telling us, don't drift away. Don't give up. Don't go chasing after other things. Don't drift away. Don't put your mind to a place where you just kind of incrementally move away from our Heavenly Father. Don't give up. Don't chase things that can bring no value. In fact, keep your faith. Do not shrink back into complacency. See, do not shrink back. Remember what you are saved to. Not what you are saved from, but what you are saved to. You're saved to a life that was connected and abiding in our Heavenly Father. You are saved to that life. But there's a big problem. 
There's a big problem, and this problem gets explained by the writer of Hebrews. The problem, the origin of this problem, was a little close. The author really said, you know, here's really the biggest problem. You should be mature, but instead you're running around like a spiritual toddler. And you're like, well, okay, that's a great analogy, but really, how can this actually work? Well, let me tell you a few things that I know about toddlers. They don't listen, right? Spiritual toddlers, they don't listen. This is the condition of the Christians that are receiving this letter. He says this, chapter 5, verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. You don't listen. I would like to explain to you how this Jesus as high priest really matters to you and how it makes that connection, but you're not able to understand it because you stopped listening. You don't understand because you are not mature. You are immature. So this is a reprimand. Anyone in here ever been told that they're acting immature? Yeah, my, my friends, my people, right? This is a reprimand. They're being called out, and, and actually they're being called out as lazy. They're being called out as people that don't seek God. They don't seek God through scripture. And they're just basically immature. Now, we know this. We know that there are good preachers and there are bad preachers. True? True? Right? There, there are some really good ones and there are some that you're like, eh, and I don't need to know which one I am. <laughs> but what I want you to do, no matter where you are, is think about your listening approach. Are you a good listener? Even if the message is hard to follow, even if it's a little difficult to understand, or if it was just poorly delivered, were you listening to what God had for you in it? Were you listening to his word? So were you being a good listener? So the writer of Hebrews says, basically, we need to start over again. We're going to have to clear the board. We're going to have to kind of wipe everything clean because here's the problem. If we were to start on what you're doing right now, we'd have to scrap it all anyway. So let's go ahead and start at the beginning. You should be further along. You should be doing more than you're doing. You should actually be discipling others, bringing others along in their faith in Christ. Instead, you need someone to actually come in and say, okay, let's sit down. Let's talk about the basics. Because here's something we know about spiritual toddlers. They're forgetful. Toddlers are forgetful. I remembered going so many places and saying, hey, did you bring your jacket? No, you didn't tell me to grab my jacket. That was the last thing I told you before we walked out the door. Huh, did you see that puppy, (laughs) right? Spiritual toddlers are the same way. 
It seems that they did not remember what they had been told. They didn't understand and they couldn't find themselves remembering and placing the things in the right order. They had been taught so many things, but they just continued to drift, drift away from the things that they were being taught. It says in verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, not only can they not see the reality of Jesus as high priest, they don't even know the basics of their faith in Christ, the very basics that they should be teaching to other people. They should be teaching their friends. They should be teaching their family. They should be sitting down and, and laying out and understanding what does it mean that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? What does it mean that we are restored in relationship because of what Christ has done? What does it mean to walk in obedience and abide in Christ because of how he restored? They didn't know. They couldn't teach. They couldn't teach their family, their friends, their kids their spouse, their co-workers, uh, any new believers. In fact, they were so confused about how they were to go about doing those things. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to teach others. Now, each individual is responsible for their faith. Every person that has come into a saving relationship with Jesus is responsible for their faith. But the interesting thing about the body of Christ, the ecclesia, is that we are responsible to disciple one another as well. Not everyone is to become a pastor, not everyone is to become an elder, but every one of us should be prepared and encouraged and willing to help a new believer to grow in their faith in Jesus. But here's the problem. Some of them were stuck, and if we're honest, some of us are stuck. Some of us are stuck on the basics. And it's because no one else in the church helped us to grow in our relationship with Jesus. So he says, listen, you're going to have to be taught again. He says, you need someone to teach you again. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You're not able to understand anything more complex or any further truths because you don't truly understand the basics. You can't take an upper level class until you've mastered what's in the entry level. It says it this way. You need milk, not solid food. Now, how do we kind of equate this? Because I'll tell you, uh, in my life, I've, I've always thought that I was a little bit more mature than others until I was proved wrong by my actions. But I always thought that I was, I was smart enough, that I knew enough, that I was engaged enough to know the right things. This is like somebody that grew up in Sunday school, that's been in church all of their life, but they truly don't know how to grow in their spiritual life with Christ. Another thing I know about toddlers is that they lack skills. Spiritual toddlers are unskilled. For everyone, 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Do you know what that is? That's willfully not engaging in your faith. By craving milk instead of moving on and developing an appetite for God's word. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. He's a child. The Bible. Did you know that the Bible is more widely available now than it ever has been in the history of the world? It doesn't matter what kind of version you want. It doesn't matter what format you want, what print, if you want it in print, you want it digital, you want it online, do you want it audio, do you want it video? You have all kinds of options as to how you can hear, listen, read, ingest the word of God. We have more availability than we have ever had in the history of the entire world. But could it be that we actually know less Spiritual toddlers are undiscerning. If you're an immature Christian, if you're immature in your relationship with God and you don't really know what God's word has to say and how the Holy Spirit works in your life, you can't always separate right from wrong. If you're not a good listener and you're forgetful, you're unskilled in God's word, you're not maturing, that means truly that you can't distinguish good from evil well. So the writer says, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now let's just kind of take a pause on this because here's the thing. I think for most of us, We spent our lives trying to to pursue a relationship with God and we found ourselves getting frustrated because it didn't work the way that we thought it would or somebody else was further along. We found ourselves comparing ourselves to one another instead of spurring one another, encouraging one another to faith and good deeds. We found ourselves in a competition. In fact, one of the things that we did when I was a kid was we had Bible drills. We had the sword drills, you know, you're ready, present, you know. And then and what I found myself, because I wasn't good at, at flipping through the pages, and sometimes I got the book, um, you know, the books mixed up, and, and one was, you know, I just could never find those one-pagers, you know. And I figured out that, that if I had an, a relationship with God and it was a competition, and I found myself losing, I really didn't want to play. Anyone else right there? If I'm going to lose, I don't want to play. But here's the thing about pursuing God. It's an all-skate everybody's in. And if we're not helping one another, we have no business being in the church. I should have brought my helmet. If we're not willing to help one another, to be patient and long-suffering with one another, then we have no business being in the church. If we're more comfortable calling people out than we are actually pulling people along, then we have no business claiming to be a representative of the church. How do we learn to distinguish good from evil? By being in God's word by encouraging 
one another. By remembering it's not a competition because the finish line comes at the same time for everybody else. Judgment comes at the same time for everyone. So everyone wins if they're in Christ. Don't be guilty of creating a whole bunch of losers. God does not withhold knowledge from us. But we can act in disobedience towards him. Especially in growing in our Christ-likeness. And being transformed in our fight against sin in our lives. This is similar to what Paul told the church in Corinth. He said this. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. Spiritual immaturity leads to moral immaturity. If we don't know, the, if we haven't gone beyond the basics of our faith in Christ, we will be surely morally immature. Spiritual immaturity leads to choosing everything but Jesus. But here's the thing. If you truly chose Jesus, you can't go back. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is telling them later. He says, listen, you can't go back to your old beliefs. You can't go back to the things that, that have, you have surpassed in Christ. Only the ones who have truly received Christ bear the fruit of Christ. And I think of it often as you, as you read the parable of the four soils, you know, where the seed was sown along the path and the stones and the weeds and in fertile ground, right? There was only one that truly brought growth. And I want to encourage you today to strive for growth. And I have some hopeful encouragement for you today. That you, as you strive for spiritual growth, it's found in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. Let's move past the basics of past the basics of salvation in Jesus. We need to build on the things that we know. So let's not lay again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Let's not, let's not try to go back to trying to make our works make us righteous before God. Let's not try to make tradition make us righteous before God. Let's not try to make our family's faith make us righteous before God. There is a foundation that is only given to us in repentance of our sin and faith in Jesus. By faith. It's not laid again and of instructions about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Go beyond the law. Go beyond any of these things that you're trying to, to continue to, to speak about. Instead, live in the new covenant that is in Christ. Live in Christ. Find that life that is full, that life that is better, the life that is more, the one that can only be found in pursuing Christ with everything that you have. See, every Christian knows that Jesus paid the price for our sins. 
Every Christian knows that, that Jesus defeated death. Every Christian knows that Christ is coming again. That's the elementary teachings of our faith. But did you know that there is so much more to the Christian life than that? Because you only lay a foundation once. Jesus is the foundation. Rituals, old ways, family tradition, all of those things, all of those things that we try to build up and make our work our way to God, those things need to be abandoned because they do not equal righteousness. Basic understanding and knowing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through him. Basic understanding is the only foundation, and but it is only the beginning because you just don't lay a foundation and leave it alone. After that, you build. That is, you grow in your discernment. You grow as a disciple of Jesus. Well, how do you do that? Why do you do that? What's discernment? Discernment is basically based on what you know about God, what you know about your previous experience and God's word, what is it that you should do? Discernment is based on who God is, what his word says, and how you've experienced God before. You can learn to discern the difference between good and evil, the difference between a God thing and just a good thing. It's a filter that we begin to run everything that we experience through without having to think about it because discernment is built by practice. Now, here's one thing that you know for sure you don't want is that you get signed up and you're ready to go into the operating room for surgery, but you happen to overhear the, the doctor as he's prepping for surgery, you know, scrubbing up his arms, you know. Hey, guys, go ahead and make sure that you have the, the computer up because, uh, you know, those couple of YouTube videos that I've been watching? Yeah, let's go ahead and get those queued up. Uh, and my textbooks. You, anyone have my textbooks? Yeah, let's make sure that they're on page 73. And oh, oh no, no, that one needs to be on 78. And this one needs to be on 372. And um, uh, can, we, uh, can we make sure that somebody's uh, here to help me to understand? And, and maybe just pause it a little bit. And can you get that dummy out here too? So not the one we're operating on, the other one. Can you get that one? Because I really want to make sure that I do this bypass correctly. You don't want that. You don't want that. You want someone that is growing in the practice that grows into the right skill, the right maturity. Applying your faith in various ways and situations is how you grow in discernment. It's not in just watching a YouTube video or doing a two-minute devotional every other day. It's found by putting your faith in practice. And you know what that does? It develops a solid response. And it makes you ready for more depth. Ready for better, for more, for greater understanding, for more easy to come by obedience to Christ. So once we find ourselves familiar, we are then ready for more depth. Spiritual reasoning means that we apply the truths of Scripture across the whole of Scripture. We, we apply the truths that we know about Jesus across all the Scriptures that we read. Whether you grow in discernment, guess what? It's on you. It's on me. Your growth in Christ is on you. 
but you need to grow for the sake of the church. You need to grow for the sake of those who are in need because, to be honest, for those who are new in their faith, who've been struggling for a while, the church must teach you. But see, discernment requires discipleship to you and from you. And I want, to, I want you to hear this. If you, if you don't hear anything else, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you have not begun to pour what you know about Christ into someone else, let me tell you that you are a, a vessel that, that is not holding or pouring. You're actually not living in accordance to what the scripture has to say about a Christian. We are to be disciples who make disciples. We're to be discipled so we can be a discipler. If you're just one step ahead of somebody in their faith, you can disciple them. If you're neck and neck with them, you can still spur one another along and disciple them because here's the beauty of being in the body of Christ is that we all, as we learn to abide, we become more like the one who created us. So what is discipleship? It's helping a person become more familiar with their faith, with God's word. And what does a Christian life lived look like? Discipleship is about becoming more familiar. Think about the first time that you were ever in a city. Maybe the first time that you ever went into San Antonio or you went into a, another metro area. How long did it take you to become more familiar? Probably a few visits, right? Getting a few routes down. First time that you went to a school, you didn't know where the restroom was, you didn't know where your locker was, you didn't know uh, where the cafeteria was. Actually, that was probably the first thing I tried to figure out where there was. First time at Disney, you had a map, you walked, you went, right? We become more familiar with things the longer that we are in them. So don't play a church game. Be sure that you're helping someone else grow. Be sure that you're not neglecting the gift of Jesus. Don't stall in your growth. Don't ever think that you've come to a place where you have arrived, that you have nothing else to learn, that you have nothing else that God wants to refine and knock off and polish because you'd be neglecting the great gift of salvation. Don't stall out in your growth, in your pursuit of Christ. Don't neglect the gift that's in Jesus. You shouldn't act as though the gospel of Jesus doesn't matter. You need to be genuine in your faith. Jesus took the cross. He took on the cross for you. So don't reflect, don't reject him. So that means that we have to check the fruit in our life. You look to the fruit to see what is nourishing the roots. Those who are not truly Christians. Not that are not truly Christians in the church that are in our midst in the moment 
you can make it right. You can truly place your faith in Jesus. You can, you can drop all the presuppositions. You can place your faith in Jesus and begin producing fruit of a transformed life. So maybe for some, it's a time for a heart check. It's time for us to, to really, truly, for one time, wrestle it to the ground. Did I truly accept the sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf, or did I just give it lip service? Did I truly come to a place where my heart was changed, transformed, given over to walk in newness of life? Because if you've given your heart to Jesus, then your next steps are to walk in obedience. The writer of Hebrews continues, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. We feel sure of better things. I'm confident that you are secure in your faith. I feel sure that you, because of your faithfulness, will have fruitfulness. In your case, beloved, don't become sluggish. Don't slack off. I'm sure of it, that you will be faithful. I'm sure that you won't become sluggish. Don't slack off. Don't become dull. Don't find yourself in a, in a rut, in a pattern of your, of your spiritual life. Instead, continue to take on the new. Be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Pursue a life that grows in godliness. Pursue a life that takes in nourishment and builds on the roots and established in the basics of your faith. In short, don't be immature. So as we wrap up today, I have a few questions for you to consider. Have you grown in age, but not in your faith? See, I really needed that helmet. Have you grown in your age, but not in your faith? Next question, are you clinging to a relationship that has not grown in years? Maybe it's time to grow up. Do you help others grow in their faith? Good news, if you do, you're on your way. Let's grow. Let's be mature. Would you pray with me?